The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. All right, I don't want to disappoint you. Last week I told you I was going to do a special Mother's Day sermon. And since we are reading through the Bible in six months and happen to be in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel this week, which is the birthplace of the genre of biblical prophecy called apocalyptic, I told you I was going to give you an apocalyptic Mother's Day sermon. Won't that be fun? And so there's no better place for an apocalyptic Mother's Day sermon than Ezekiel chapter 19. And when we read Ezekiel chapter 19 or portions thereof, there will be in your mind, if you're a student of the Bible, a connection between a specific chapter in Revelation, which is kind of like the apex of apocalyptic literature in the Bible. And this was you know, formally developed over about 450 years and uh, was a, a, a powerful way of communicating that is kind of distant and disconnected for a lot of us. So um, we're going to have a little bit of fun with it, but the message is going to transfer, and the message is one of hope and strength and confidence and peace and great expectations of God, even through the difficulties of life. And I can't think of a better way to bless the moms than to show them God's big picture and his faithfulness to us in every generation to fulfill his purposes. He brings us through the travail and new life always comes. And that's something that we can build our lives upon. Amen. So typically I would read a passage and then pray, but by the time I get done with these few verses from Ezekiel 19, it's going to be so depressing that we're going to be like, oh, so what I'm going to have you do is um, put a finger in Ezekiel 19 and then flip over to Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to read both of those uh, together, and you'll see how they're connected. Then we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. So this is Ezekiel chapter 19. You'll see how it fits the, uh, the, uh, the, the mood of Mother's Day. It's also, just to warn you, it is a lament. So you guys know the whole book of Lamentations is five chapters of everything's just about as bad as it can possibly be. And all of us go through periods of time where we need lament because we need to learn how to grieve the loss of that which is valuable and call out to God when there's nothing else to hold on to. And so lament is very important, but it's also not something you want to spend a lot of time doing. Somebody say amen. You want your periods of lament to be short, as uh, short as possible. And so this chapter is a lament, and so it's going to have that, that tone but you'll see why that matters in just a moment. So Ezekiel chapter 19, starting in verse one. And you, this is God speaking to Ezekiel, take up a lamentation for the princes of Israel and say, what was your mother? A lioness among lions. She crouched in the midst of young lions. She reared her cubs and she brought up one of her cubs, and he became a young lion. He learned to catch prey. He devoured men. The nations heard about him. He was caught in their pit, and they brought him with hooks to the land of Egypt. Verses 5 to 9 continue that motif and give more details about the capture and slavery and bondage of one of the kings of Judah that's being referenced here. And in verse 10, we read, Your mother... Your mother was like a vine in a vineyard planted by the water, fruitful, full of branches by reason of abundant water. Its strong stems became rulers, scepters. This is how strong this vine was. Its stems were strong enough and thick enough to become the, the powerful scepter of a king. And it towered aloft among the thick boughs. It was seen in its height with the mass of its branches. 
verse 12. But the vine was plucked up in fury and cast down to the ground. The east wind dried up its fruit. They were stripped off and withered. As for its strong stem, fire consumed it. Now it is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land. And fire has gone out from the stems of its shoots and has consumed its fruit so that there remains in it no strong stem, no scepter for ruling. This is a lamentation and has become a lamentation. Ezekiel 19 records the emotion of the people of Israel in captivity in Babylon, now having no ruler and no king. A series of brothers had been taken, one made king and then carried off to Egypt, another made king and then rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar and killed, and then another um, captured and brought to Babylon where his eyes were gouged out after seeing each of his sons killed in front of him. Very, very vicious, gruesome stuff. And so you can imagine the hopelessness of the people of Israel where there's no longer a named king. There's a series of governors through this silent period where God's not speaking and the prophetic voices come to a conclusion. And this is the state Israel finds herself in. And so aptly, God gives the gift through the prophet Ezekiel of lamentation to be able to, at the point of utter loss and destruction and sadness and calamity, express the hurt and the pain, looking back to where they had come from and where they find themselves. And yet embedded in the title, mother is all of the hope of Ezekiel chapter 19, because it is a mother who carries in her womb life and brings new life through the travail of labor and delivery. And where there is a mother and where there is a pregnant mother, there is hope for the next generation. And the promise of God that started in Genesis 3 and verse 15, where the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the offspring of the serpent, the enemy of God's people, this is where the hope of God's people lie. And so while there was no king in Judah, there was still a remnant and the promises of God were being fulfilled. And so this is Ezekiel chapter 19. So let me now take you to the New Testament. If I was a Texas Pentecostal preacher, I'd say, open your Bible to Ezekiel and to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to read an Old Testament text and a New Testament text. Revelation 12, 1 to 6. The woman and the dragon. Maybe you read this before. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns, and on his heads seven diadems, crowns. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. 
verses seven to 12, go backwards in time and give us the prehistory of the fall of Satan and the, the legion of demons, the third of the angelic hosts that come down to earth with him. And verse 13 picks up the narrative of the woman. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she may fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold on to the testimony of Jesus. Isn't that epic? Isn't that a great, isn't that a great story? God, we thank you for your word. It's been read in our hearing. Lord, as unusual as some of this imagery is and as difficult as it is to kind of connect with, even in its despair and despondency from Ezekiel and the imagery from Revelation. God, we thank you that your word is, is breathed out by your Holy Spirit, penned for the benefit of your people, preserved for us and alive and able to engage us in our hearts and minds. God, I pray this morning that as we study your word together, that you would not only increase our knowledge, but that you would capture our hearts, Lord, that we would come to see you for who you are, the rescuing giver of life, the savior of the world. And no matter how difficult our experience becomes or how dark or how much loss or suffering we encounter, God, that we would have an enduring and unshakable hope because of who you are. God, I thank you for the moms who are present this morning. I thank you for your faithfulness to them and through them. God, I thank you for your intimate awareness and knowledge of every feeling, every thought, every fear, every desire, and your compassion to move in their direction, to pull them in closely, to comfort them and to strengthen them, to nourish them even in the wilderness. And God, thank you that your timing is perfect. Lord, you know exactly what you're doing. You are always bringing about your purpose and your will. We don't know, we don't see, we can't understand, but God, you are faithful and you are good. And so we just entrust ourselves to you. I pray, Lord, that we would capture the, the heart of this passage of scripture this morning. We ask for your help. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. 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 So the book of Revelation was strongly influenced by the book of Ezekiel. In fact, if you read Ezekiel in its entirety, which we're doing as a church reading the Bible in six months, there's a lot more apocalyptic literature in Ezekiel, particularly in the early chapters where you've got uh, multi-winged, multi-head, multi-faced, multi-eyed, multi-wheeled beings in God's presence. And there's all this uh, picture that's fantastical, but that brings us into the reality of the world as it is and not merely as it appears. Um, G author James K.A. Smith writes about apocalyptic liter literature. He says, unfortunately, we tend to associate apocalyptic literature with end times literature, as if the goal were a matter of prediction. And a lot of times we read Revelation like this, what is gonna happen, how, and when? But that's not primarily what it's about. This is a misunderstanding of this biblical genre. The point of the apocalyptic literature is not prediction, but unmasking or unveiling the realities around us 
for what they really are. So apocalyptic literature is a genre that tries to get us to see the world on a slant and thus see through the spin. In his book, uh, what's it called, babe? You Are What You Love. Thank you. Um, this is my research assistant on the front row. She's beautiful. Um, you Are What You Love. He likens apocalyptic to louvered blinds, which a lot of us have in Florida, where you can crank them down to a 45-degree angle, and if you look directly at them, you see white, and yet they let light in at an angle, right? Maybe you've had this experience where you've been driving past a, a wooden privacy fence, and while you're standing in front of the fence, you can't see through it, but as you drive through it and you can see through the angles, you can actually make out what's on the other side. Have you guys ever had this experience? Apocalypse the name of the book, Revelation, literally means an unveiling or an unmasking. It is this type of experience where things are put forward in a manner that cause us to have to look at it through a slant. But when we look at it through that angle, it takes apart the lies and the masks of what's being forced on us on the surface level and lets us see behind the curtain. And so it's super, super, super exciting. Now we've all had this experience like over the past 20 years, I'm sure most of you to some degree have had this experience. Do you remember when you used to watch the news and try to figure out the bias of the journalists? You remember that? Remember when we used to try to do that? And then it kind of shifted so badly that it's like, now you're just like, whatever you tell me, I think the opposite's probably true. Do you, you know what I'm saying? And in fact, sometimes when there's like these mundane, like milk toast, know nothing news stories come on. Now I'm like, what executive order is being signed right now? What bill is being, what is in the house right now that is going on that no one's reporting on? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And so the veneer has gotten thinner, but that has always been the strategy of the enemy. The strategy of the enemy has always been to set up a deception so that people exist in a state of fear and panic so that they can be easily controlled. That's what was happening in the first century. That's what's happened in the 21st century. If the Lord tarries, that's what will happen in the 31st century. And here is the gift of God in the scriptures is to say, here's a picture of how things actually are. And so oftentimes there's a prophetic vision where God lets a seer look beyond the pale, beyond the veneer, and then describe for us with vivid imagery and symbols and signs what's actually going on. And the effect of that is that you are delivered from this sense of despondency and despair and hopelessness and fear to see what God is doing and how God is at work. And when you come to encounter him, through this literature, which takes a little bit of work, but when you see him, it is so stirring and infusing of confidence and hope and joy and peace and love that it gives you just an ability to make it through the despondency and through the difficulty and through the suffering and through the opposition. To love not your life even to the point of death. And so for Mother's Day, I chose Ezekiel 19 and Revelation chapter 12, right? So let me just ask you this. Why, why in these passages is the reference to a mother? Or maybe better yet, in Revelation chapter 12, who is the mother being pictured there? Immediately to your mind, what comes to mind? Israel, what else? Who else? Mary, yep. It's a little ambiguous, isn't it? You go, okay, well, if it's Mary, then this. And if it's Israel, then this. And well, here's, here's, here's how this works. In fact, if you look at all the Renaissance paintings of Mother Mary, you'll notice many, many, many of them, she has 12 stars around her head. She's seen with the sun behind her and even some, a moon at her feet because the Roman Catholic Church depicted Mary in this particular passage. Now there's some difficulties if she's only Mary. As you read through the story, you go, well, how did Mary do this? And how does this fit? How does this fit together? But here's the thing. Oh, 
in the whole storyline of God's salvation, motherhood is right there at the center, the heart of it, right? Genesis chapter three and verse 15. The hope of humankind would come through the offspring of the woman. And so you saw an epic struggle between Cain and Abel and hope was lost and then Seth was born. And you trace all throughout the lineage of God's people another son and another son and another son and messianic hope and a further opening of God's promise that, that God was gonna choose for himself a king after his own heart and that was David and then David was gonna build God a house and God said, no, I'm gonna build you a house and you're gonna have a son and a son of David will always sit on the throne in Israel and this expectation and hope of God's people and in Ezekiel 19, that hope is lost because the king is dethroned, deposed, exiled and there is no king and so this is why it's a lamentation because all is lost but there's still a mother and when Revelation, the writer of Revelation, John, the seer, begins to describe for us this vision of these signs, he says there's a mother. And this mother is the mother of redemptive history. She is Eve, and she is Sarah, and she is Leah, and she is Israel, and she is Mary, because God is always moving to bring new life and new hope and fulfillment of his promise, and that is ultimately fulfilled in the God-man, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, the covenant fulfillment of God, the, the one who became like us so that he might be in us and that we might be in him. And he is the one, the male child caught up to the throne of God where he is seated and ruling and reigning. But it doesn't look like that, does it? It looks like we're living in a world where there's a big red dragon who's trying to destroy everyone and eat us for lunch, doesn't it? That's what it feels like. And God says, it's okay, because even in the midst of the gap between the culmination of all things, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna whisk you away on eagle's wings. I'm gonna take you to a place of nourishment. I'm gonna count out the days, 1,260. You know, that's a three and a half years. You can say it a bunch of different ways in Revelation. It's 360 days in the Jewish year, a times, a time, times, and half a time. It's 1,260 days, 360 times one, times two, times half. You see that, how that works together? But it's a, it's a prophetic way of God saying, I got a plan and I've planned this thing out to the day. I've got an appointment with destiny for you, and you can trust me. Why? Because I'm continuing to birth salvation. I'm continuing to birth deliverance. I'm giving you hope because new life is coming. The, 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 the end of the age in Jesus' teaching is always akin to the travail of labor and delivery. Do you remember? This is the center, and so this is why, this is why a mother, and all these pictures are in there, do you remember in Genesis chapter 49 when, when Jacob was blessing his sons and he gets to Judah in verse eight? Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey, my son. You have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall the obedience of all the peoples come, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments with wine and his vesture with the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk. This is a picture of a prosperous ruler. And guess what? It wasn't Judah and it wasn't Jehoahaz and it wasn't Jehoiakim and it wasn't Zedekiah. It was Jesus, born of a virgin Mary, ascended into heaven after his resurrection the giver of life to all who would come to him by faith. This is the picture. Now, I got to this point and I'd written all this out. And at 5.45 a.m., I was looking for a quote that Tiffany used the last time she spoke to the women. 
And I typed into my computer search some of that quote that I remembered, and there was her sermon notes, and I read her sermon, and I thought, this is better than mine. <laughs> so I thought, I did. And then I'm sitting there in the dark, and I'm thinking, I could wake her and see how she would feel about preaching three times today. Or I could steal it. And so what I did was I stole it. It's beautiful. This is what she said. I was in the sound booth, all ladies in here. Here's what she said. She's talking about the spiritual rest that we receive from God in salvation. And she was just inundating all the ladies with this reality. You are his beloved. You are chosen. You are kept. And we keep ourselves in the love of God when we pray in the Holy Spirit. We pray his precious promises over our own hearts and minds. His demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. He sings and rejoices over us, and we get to know the love of God and have the peace of God that surpasses understanding. We are the apple of his eye. We are seated in the heavenly places, filled with the fullness of God, loved before the foundation of the world, chosen to be holy and blameless, precious in his sight, born again to a living hope, adopted as daughters of God, never left or forsaken, blessed with every spiritual being. Every promise in Christ is yes and amen. We have peace that surpasses understanding. We are made new and have been given the mind of Christ. We are strengthened, established, restored, and confirmed. It's pretty good stuff, wasn't it? I was like, wow. Yeah, it's just straight scripture she's saying from the front row. But it's the truth, isn't it? It's the truth. And this is the truth that apocalyptic literature is trying to get us to, to take down all of the fears and anxieties and falsehoods and to saturate ourselves in the love of God. Now, part of that is salvation because you actually have to respond to God and you have to, have to repent and you have to ask God to save you. And then he does. But you can be fully saved and be headed for heaven and in the gap between be plagued by fear and anxiety and pain and suffering and despondency and darkness and depression. Don't you know that? And she said, there's not only a spiritual rest to be received, but an interior rest, a rest on the inside of safety and security, not unto salvation, but for our experience in this world. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And we're supposed to rest in the shadow of the Almighty. What can harm a soul that is kept of the Lord? The rest, she said, is a sanctuary of soul that can't be penetrated when abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. It's the place where we dwell in perfect peace, even in life's fiercest storms. And then she gave this quote. This is the one I was looking for. This is Hannah Smith. She writes, the fortress of a mother's heart, whether it be a human mother or a hen mother or a tiger mother, is the most impregnable fortress the world knows. And yet, the tenderest. And this, this is the sort of fortress that the Lord is. Under his wings shalt thou trust. He shall carry them in his bosom underneath the everlasting arms. In Revelation, the English translation of the ESV translates that he will rule with a rod of iron. That word in Greek is actually shepherd, and it's akin back to the gentle leadership 
of our Jesus. And for him to be our good shepherd is to have him orchestrate his plans of good to prosper us and not to harm us, to have his goodness and mercy moving with us all the days of our life. And she quotes Hannah one more time, speaking of experiencing this rest by keeping herself in the love of God, she writes, she abandoned her whole self to the Lord with all that she was and all that she had. And believing that he took that which she had committed to him, she ceased to fret and worry and her life became all sunshine and gladness of belonging to him. So good, so good. Now here's the thing. This is what will get you through the darkest part of life and the fiercest part of the storm. Really, in Jeremiah's Lamentation, five chapters of Lamentation, which, which we'll, we'll, we will read, five chapters, there's only a handful of verses that provide good news, and they are at the dead center of that book. After going through all of the things, like Ezekiel chapter 19, that are despondency upon despair, upon darkness, upon loss, upon calamity, upon judgment, upon pain, upon death, Jeremiah writes, but this I call to mind, and therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Now listen, you have to know and experience the love of God at the deepest part of your human experience to hang on to that reality, no matter how dark and difficult life gets. Amen? Do you see why I stole that? <laughs> and so what do we do if it all falls apart? What do we hold on to? And this is why I wanted to read these passages. We have a mother in Ezekiel 19 who gives birth to a lion, and then the lions are caught and destroyed and carried off. She's pictured as a vine, and the vine gets pulled up and thrown down. But it was Jesus who was the lion of the tribe of Judah, Right? And it was Jesus who in John chapter 15 said, behold, I am the true vine. You are not divine. Israel's not divine. There will not be another vine. I am the vine. And whoever abides in me, is he that bears much fruit apart from me, you can do nothing. These things he said in verse 11, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is what Jesus is after. Now, men and women are different. That's not a sermon or a point. That's a reality. And I stand before you as a man. And I want to be a blessing to our moms. And I'm, I got to tell you, though, I have, I have a mom. I have a mother-in-law. I have a stepmother-in-law. I've been married for 21 years. I have three daughters and four sisters. I know still almost nothing about being a woman at all. So just, just barely getting by, okay? So... This is why I stole most of the sermon for today, okay? And I think it was a smart choice. Would you agree? Okay, good. All right. So here's, here's how I want to close. Um, all of this is true whether you receive it or not. Do you know that? God doesn't change. He's exactly like this. He loves you fiercely. He's committed. He's powerful. He's enduring, and he's fulfilling his purpose and plan and he's ready to swoop in to save you and to meet you and to do a work on the inside of you that makes you enduring and conquering and powerful. Do you know that? That's, the, that's who our God is, okay? 
The question is, will you trust him and give him your whole heart? This is where the miracle happens in your experience. And it's not just in your head. It's not just that I believe that it's true. You know, that's a, more, that's a little bit more of a man way of approaching it. But you gotta bring it all the way in to the core of who you are. And so I wanna just, I wanna close a little early. I'm gonna actually ask the worship team to come up. I wanna make sure you guys have time to get pictures and stuff. But I wanna just read over you Psalm 139. And I want you to take this in as about you and for you. And then we'll have an opportunity to respond to the Lord. This is Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be as night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. God, I thank you that your promise to each of us is to find the stillness and peace and hope and love that can only be received as a gift of your grace. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to your promise throughout the centuries, throughout the ages. God, you spent eons and eons unknown 
before humanity, fashioning this universe, creating this galaxy and crafting this solar system and hand-making this planet so that there would be a place upon which you could dwell with your people and make us your own. And Lord, if that were not enough, when we were lost and broken and disconnected from you, you, you cast off the majesty and dignity of being creator, God, timeless and independent to put on the form of humanity and to be born into this world. You walked with us and lived among us, revealed your heart to us, and then you died that we might live. And because of that steadfast love, Lord Jesus, there is hope in every situation. God, there is rest to be experienced on the inside. God, there is love to be filled up with day after day, no matter what we walk through. And God, that is enough to alter our perspective on our situation and on the future, on uncertainty. And God, I thank you, Lord, for these little peaks behind the fence, for these little, these little angled glimpses beyond the blinds where you allow us to see things as they truly are. And what we see is a God who ransoms and heals and restores and forgives and delivers. And so we put our trust in you. And I pray, Lord, that these scriptures would saturate the hearts and give peace and hope and love to all the moms who are in the room today. And I pray, Lord, for those who are here who do not know you and have not experienced you in this way that you've been described. God, that they would hear not my words or even these texts, but they would hear your voice through them, beckoning them to come and to receive, to be held and loved and delivered, swept away, nourished and cared for. Or in as much as that offer is being given, Lord, I pray that they would respond with faith to say in their own heart and mind and with their words, God, I hear you. I believe you. I am sorry. And I'm turning to you. Forgive my sins and make me yours. And God, I just pray you would bring them into the kingdom work that you are doing all around us. It's invisible to our human eyes. Lord, as we respond, I pray that you would meet us in our inner being, God, that our spirits would be lifted up as we give you praise and honor and, and consider and worship you for who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. amen.